Our final offstage discussion in our series on women and leadership is all about the news business. Hi, I'm Trisha Johnson. Our guest host, Susan Page, caught up with Rebecca Blumenstein during the Aspen Ideas Festival. Blumenstein is the deputy managing editor of the New York Times. Here's the show. Our final conversation for the Aspen Ideas to Go Offstage series about women looks at how women in the media move forward after Me Too. I'm Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today. Thanks for joining me. Rebecca Blumenstein is Deputy Managing Editor of The New York Times. She was the Deputy Editor-in-Chief at The Wall Street Journal. She also served as China Bureau Chief at The Wall Street Journal. In our conversation, we touch on how newsrooms are working to be more diverse. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks so much. Great to be here. So the New York Times has a new name. The president has given it to you, the failing New York Times. You know, we're used to having criticism uh, from officials and readers and everyone. Is it different now, though, with the this blistering critique from the Oval Office? Well, uh, first of all, I have to say that what's happened in the past couple of years I think amid this critique and post-election is that people have realized that facts have value. And one of the things that makes me very optimistic is that people are finally paying for news. Uh, The Times is hardly failing. Actually, our uh, uh, circulation has almost doubled, and we're approaching 4 million now. And And so this is a sea change, and it's not just the Times, it's the Wall Street Journal. I'm on the board of the Columbia Journalism Review. People have recognized the importance of journalism, and they're supporting it. Um, Journalism is, you know, a fundamental tenet of our democracy. And there are some very worrisome things happening out there, especially with local papers and the market forces, um, the growth of digital advertising and the dominance of Facebook and Google have made the business of journalism uh, very difficult. Uh, But we're optimistic because the subscribers, the readers, are realizing that there's value. I will also have to say separately that, uh, you know, you didn't ask me specifically about the enemy of the people comment. and the 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 way that the president has has you know referred to the press repeatedly as as the antagonist and and I think that has had a corrosive impact. Um, there's been worries about security, the way that reporters are kind of penned up in these rallies, the people throwing things at them. It is um, it's very worrisome. Another thing that's worrisome is the polling. When when we ask people, do you think there's fake news? Do you think that reporters make stories up. And we find that uh, really an overwhelming majority of people who identify as Republicans say, yes, they believe that reporters are making up stories for one purpose or another. That seems new to me, that level of distrust in whether there are facts in the mainstream news media. I agree. I mean, and it's something that's a challenge for for us, for all media. you know, I think I think there's no question that we could do a better job sometimes uh, reflecting the and, and, and many, many news organizations are spending a lot of time right now, uh, you know, trying to reflect other perspectives, trying to get out there into the country and really understand what's going on. Um, and we have some trust, uh, you know, to to gain back. But I would also say, though, that facts are very important and we can't lose sight of that. Um we have to point out, um, you know, when there are inaccuracies, it's a really important, you know, role that we have to play. And 
journalism at its heart, you know, you look at the Harvey Weinstein stories or, you know, investigative stories that we and others have done, they, they, they shine a light, they, they into, into, into areas that, um, that are incredibly important that wouldn't come out otherwise. And journalists are, you know, are really, I think that role is now more important than ever. And so, you know, it's, it's the original journalism, the original stories that are getting the most readers, actually. And, um, you know, if we can get, get off this partisan kind of divide with everything, I think there's, I think there's actually like, you know, more than we can agree on. When the White House puts reporters in the middle of these rallies in a pen and the president denounces them, sometimes by name, what's the effect on the reporters you work with? I, uh, you know, The Fourth Estate is a documentary that uh, was just done about the New York Times. And um, there's a fascinating segment in the first episode where Jeremy Peters, who um, who covers, uh, is very close with Steve Bannon, covers Breitbart and the conservative movement for us, is at the conservative conference. And um, it was the first time that Trump called the press the enemy of the people. And what's amazing is that um, the camera's on Jeremy, which is quite for, you know, print reporters, we're not used to being like, you know, the camera right in our faces. And you see him um, react like it, like he was almost punched a little bit. And then he said it again. Um, and he didn't roll his eyes or anything like that. He, you know, he took it. Um, I think uh, the cumulative impact is 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 very concerning because when people are called the enemy, some some people take that quite literally. Um, and uh, you know, there was a shooting at the newsroom in Maryland, and that may have been a longstanding issue, but but a lot of people have longstanding issues with news organizations, and the more that the press is demonized. Um, uh, it's it's obviously a very considered strategy to you know to to kind of say well don't don't listen to questions raised about these policies because they, because they're illegitimate um, so so it's um you know I, reporters don't feel great about it and they're really concerned. What do you think is the greatest threat to journalism now? Um, I think it's the business model, it's finances. Um, sure, we're all under pressure. Uh, you know, uh, enemy of the people and, and what our role is. And, and I would say, um, if you look at the fourth estate, if you look in any detail in any newsroom, there's a lot of people really trying hard to cover this president and do it as fairly as possible. Entire workflows have changed. We now start, as I'm sure you do, at like, you know, four or five in the morning to get presidential tweets. There was a Friday recently where our D.C. Bureau did 22 stories in a single day. People are exhausted we're trying to, you know, this is this is an extraordinary time, but the um, the growth in digital advertising um, has not really happened for the vast bulk of uh, media properties. Facebook has changed its algorithms in ways that um, even a lot of the new digital upstarts, where there was so much optimism and investment years ago, they're really struggling. Um, and people are reading less print newspapers. You just have to look at people on their phones. Um, and so the very primacy of, of who's going to, you know, who's going to control the news? Is it going to be Apple and Facebook and Google? Will news organizations be able to, um, you know, be able to hold their own in a sense? Uh, we have 1,400 reporters around the world. Um, that's, you know, a very important thing. Uh, uh, and uh, we, we are run, you know, by a family um, who, who, you know, who supported journalism. Um, a lot of news organizations aren't as lucky, and um, 
uh, you know, the Denver Post and a number of news organizations are run, you know, owned by hedge funds. And there's cut after cut after cut. I think I saw there's half as many reporters now as there were, uh, you know, I think just eight years ago. So that's the biggest problem. And then you end up with communities like Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I went to college um, at the University of Michigan. The Ann Arbor News doesn't exist anymore, which is kind of amazing given that, you know, uh, relative like wealth and education and, you know, uh, of, of, a, of a community like that. There is an online version, to be sure, but it's a, it's a very different thing. And we're looking at a lot of local news deserts around the country. One of the things that's a challenge and a threat to journalism or could be are these more aggressive Department of Justice investigations into leaks. Uh, and the Attorney General uh, Jeff Sessions has made it clear that he plans to do uh, more leaks investigation. The president has certainly urged him to do that. You've had a case involving the New York Times that has been complicated because Allie Watkins, has been in, who's a reporter, a young reporter for the New York Times, has been ensnared in a federal leaks investigation against James Wolfe, who was a top staffer at the Senate Intelligence Committee. And what makes this more complicated is that they had a personal relationship for three years. Uh, and I wonder if you think that just makes it harder to... Uh, does it make the whole issue harder when the Justice Department seizes some of her re- records as a reporter, although from the be- time before she was working for the New York Times? I mean, just, to, just to talk about that as a as an editor and, and also as a as a female journalist. Well, I have to be careful here because, we, you know, that's that's currently something that, you know, we're doing our own investigation into what happened. I, I would say, you know, um, and the details, of course, are very important, but yet we can't lose sight of the fact here of what happened, which is that um, the Justice Department went and seized the phone records of a reporter dating back many years um, uh, and the, e- the metadata email records, which is, uh, you know, I think virtually unprecedented scrutiny. Um, and this is not a case, at least at this point, that even involves uh you know, he he is accused James Wolfe of lying, but not of leaking confidential, you know, top secret, you know, uh, data. Um, so so that's just a very concerning precedent for anybody who's, um, you know, who's interested uh, in supporting the First Amendment and the, the right of the press to do what we want to do, because you can learn a lot from from metadata. And um, I think in terms of in terms of Mr. Wolfe, you know the the government does have all of his you know full communication, so that's a that's a real intrusion in terms of Ali. She did work and rose very quickly at a number of news organizations, um, and uh, and and she's a good reporter. I think um, uh, you know women in general. Um, you know we have made a lot of strides in journalism. No one condones any sort of activity where you're getting information from you know sources that you have um, relationships with. And um, you know, I think this is, if anything, a reminder of of the importance of that. Let's talk about women in in journalism and and not as young reporters, but as senior editors like yourself. Uh, there there aren't that many of them in some organizations that USA Today actually our publisher and our editor now are both are both female but you're one of the highest ranking uh, women at the Times are you the highest ranking woman at the Times yes so the highest ranking woman at the Times and were you the highest ranking woman at the Wall Street Journal when you were there yes okay so you have a perspective on this why aren't there more of you um it's a good question I um you know I think there are more than one realizes a woman ran the Associated Press. Um, there is a woman running the San Francisco Examiner now. 
Um, but there should be many more. And and sometimes um, I look around meetings and I'm, I I kind of have the same question of like, what happened here? Uh, and I, you know, I have to say, like coming up through the Wall Street Journal, I um, had a boss who, uh, you know, all all of my key bosses were men, by the way. But, um, you know, he, he had a saying, I, I have three kids, and he, when I had my first kid, said to me, um, I think working moms are the best employees. And, um, you know, you, you kind of have... Because, why, why did you think that? Be, because he says... You know, we're all deadline-oriented people. Certainly, journalists are. And when you have, you know, a little one to get home to at night, you organize your day. You organize, you know, yourself and what you have to do. And you come in and you get it done and you leave. And we've all seen over, over time, um, you know, the busiest people sometimes get the most done. And um, you know, he really believed that. And I was promoted twice when I was on maternity leave. And it really helped that I had. I had opportunities that were kind of too good to pass up in terms of like, well, maybe I should lean lean back here. Not everyone has had opportunities. Like I went to China with three young kids um, and they sent me with three. And, you know, so that's like a big risk. Um, I also have a partner who's very supportive um, and he works at home. Um, he works, but he's, you know, very supportive of, of, of what I do. So um, I think that we as news organizations um, – in terms of you know, in, in broadening our diversity, really need to get in the weeds and talk to people early on about you know about not really, not really. Uh, I think a lot of women think, well, when I have kids, I have to step off. I can't do the job I I used to do. And I just I I think the message has become too negative, And I think the message should be the opposite of like you can do it. Journalism happens to be this like very intense but very flexible uh, uh, profession, not if you're a line editor for, sh- for sure who has to come to the office every day, but, but in a lot of journalism, if you do your work, we don't really care where it is, when you do it, if it's at 2 in the morning or 7. And, and obviously there are intense news stretches. Um, but I think you know sometimes work pulls, sometimes family pulls, and a lot is possible, and we really need to change that message. Do you think that there is a phenomenon that's been called editing while female? And that would be uh, there are some prominent women editors who have been pushed out of their jobs, Jill Abramson at the time, Susan Glasser. And there was a feeling that they were taken to task for having leadership styles that were abrasive and leadership styles that would have been of no note if they had been male instead of female. Do you think that's that's a problem? Do you think that's a fact? Do you think that actually happens? I think that is a phenomena. Um, and I, I uh, just interviewed here Deborah Rohde, who's a, uh, you know, one of the top legal scholars at Stanford, who was saying, you know, attributes of aggressiveness in men, which are attractive, are simply not as attractive in women. And people people hold it against women. And that's something we all need to grapple with. I will also say that um, we owe so much to those women because they they really broke through a lot of barriers and they had to fight like hell. They had to be really aggressive to get there. Um, I think people like me benefit from the work they did. And and um, it can maybe have a little bit more freedom to develop different kinds of leadership styles, you know, in terms of, you know, women, uh, and we have to be careful not to generalize, but, you know, 
more comfortable delegating, you know, really like having teams, the inclusion, um, and and kind of um, embracing a little bit more of the, you know, of some of the, you know, not the top down like management, but the more kind of inclusive leadership that I think comes more naturally to women. Um, I think that, uh, you know, but but what Jill and others did is incredibly important, incredibly hard. And it's not a surprise to me that they were known for their aggressiveness. Um, and and it's troubling that um, that it was held that would, it was held against them. Now I think though that that has been we have to we have to bring you know it's not just it can't be one woman it needs to be several women we can't be having meetings about you know important things and uh, you know and and only have one woman in the room. Are you often the only woman in the room? No, I wouldn't say that. I think the times um, I think the times is 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 pretty good, but um, you know but it does happen. It does happen, and I think that, you know, we broadly as 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 companies, as news organizations, we need to really push, you know, for there to be multiple multiple women and also people of color. I mean, diversity is, um, uh, I would say, a almost a bigger issue, a very much a bigger issue, um, racial diversity, racial diversity yeah. in newsrooms than women. I think women are doing better. I think future generations, it makes me feel optimistic if we can keep women in there, like in the intense jobs during, you know, family bearing years, if they decide to do that. I'm feeling optimistic about that. I think we have a lot of work to do on diversity. So I'm sure young women come to you and ask for advice. Young woman journalist comes to you and says, give me a piece of advice. What's your best advice? I think my best advice would be um, a to work really hard and to learn your craft um, and uh, to go for all kinds of opportunities um, and to have a plan in a sense of like what you might want to do next. But I see too many young women sometimes focus on what they want to do next before they've figured out how to do what they do. Um, and and I just think that's really important. If you, if it, it, it prevents a lot of disappointment later on, because sometimes I see women raising their hands, and that's great to to raise your hand, but without a lot of self awareness of of, you know, how they're viewed, how their work is viewed. Are they do they you know do they have the reporting experience? Do they have the chops? Um, are they writing clean news stories? Now I'm not saying women should toil away for years, uh, because you know one might then come back and say, well, men are given these opportunities as well. But you know, go in there, like work, work nights, work weekends, be a person in your group who solves problems, who volunteers, and is someone who's just like taking it all, taking it all in, and um, and I think good things will happen. I think good things will happen, and I would just not get too preoccupied with you know two or three steps out. Um, but it's good to, you know, there's in newsrooms today, you can learn a language if you want to, if you want to go abroad, you know how meaningful it is if you're an editor hiring. And even if someone isn't fluent in Chinese says, well, I've been taking some Chinese lessons. You know, um, if, if you're a digital editor and you haven't done that many news stories, um, can I work nights and weekends during the, you know, or, or weekends during the summer to pick up some skills? You know, just taking an extra a little bit of initiative, I think, can, can get people far, but nothing replaces the hard work. Rebecca Blumenstein, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Rebecca Blumenstein oversaw a China journalism team that won a 2007 Pulitzer Prize for International Reporting. She's the deputy managing editor of The New York Times. I'm Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today. Make sure to subscribe to Aspen Ideas to Go wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Follow Aspen Ideas year-round on Twitter and Facebook at Aspen Ideas. The Aspen Institute is a nonpartisan forum for values-based leadership and the exchange of ideas. Thanks for listening.